You know, I feel like if David was here, he'd have something really smart to say, probably that would involve a phrase in French, about, like, the type of movie and how the characters not being characters is, like, exactly how it's supposed to be, because I seem to remember him saying that at least once for another movie where I was complaining about the characters. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people. Because history has shown us that courage can be contagious, and hope can take on a life of its own. I will bring you hope, and I ask only one thing in return. We move now, together. Not at all. Hope is not lost today. It is found. Hope is what keeps you going. Even if the whole world is telling you to move, it's your duty to plant yourself like a tree, look them in the eye and say no. You move. Welcome to Skiffy and Fanti at the movies. Annihilation. Mutant bears. I never knew they could be so creepy. <laughs> oh my god. Oh god. Um, so I'm Alex. I'm Paul. I'm Daniel. I'm Mike. I'm Terry. And uh, yeah, today we're going to talk about the movie Annihilation and Creepy Bears. Yeah, Creepy Bears. Number one, Creepy Bears. Please introduce yourself, Terry. So, hi, I'm Terry. Um, I write speculative fiction, including horror, sci-fi, and fantasy under the nom de plume Zin E. Rocklin. I was on the show once before, uh, babbling away about my work and weird pregnancies. So... (laughs) Other than that, um, I guess I'm pretty new to Skippy and Fanti, but I'm glad to be here. Welcome back to the show. So you're going from talking about, like, weird pregnancies to annihilation. So um, we're keeping it in your wheelhouse. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So, Alex, you have written a review of this on your blog, so you have the most knowledge to be able to give us a synopsis of this movie. Could you help our audience tell us what annihilation is all about? Okay, so I'm just going to cheat and read you the little synopsis that I wrote because it'll make me sound way more put together than I actually am on a Sunday evening. Um, And I will note that this synopsis is as spoiler-free as I can make it, so we're going to get into spoilers later and we'll put up like a spoiler wall because we need to talk about some things. Alright, so Annihilation starts with Lena, who is played by Natalie Portman, being debriefed by people in biohazard suits. And it tells you right from that first scene that she is the sole survivor of an expedition into some mysterious, creepy place. And then the rest of the movie is basically her telling the story, you know, and then it occasionally comes back to her being debriefed by all the people in the biohazard suits. So her story starts with her... As an army veteran, now she's an academic, and her husband, Sergeant Kane, who is played by Oscar Isaac, because I guess the the director just really loves Oscar Isaac like all people do. And Sergeant Kane has been missing for over a year. So just as Lena has begun forcing herself to let him go, Kane shows up at their house, like when she's literally repainting their bedroom as a symbol of the fact that she's letting him go because he's disappeared. But he has no memory of how he got there or where he's been. And he immediately drops into the brink of death. Like he's like bleeding from the mouth and vomiting up blood and having seizures. And Lena does the smart thing and calls an ambulance. And they get taken away in an ambulance. And then the ambulance gets pulled over by basically like scary military police. And they get spirited away to Area X, which is an army base just outside a zone covered with some... CGI prismatic light effect called the Shimmer. Then Lena finds out that Kane has been on a mission into the Shimmer for the last year. It's this weird zone that people go into and they never come out of until Kane came out. And it's been steadily growing and they've had to like evacuate people and stuff. So Lena volunteers to go into the zone because Kane is still just like basically dead and on a ventilator. And so she's going to go in with the next team and try to find out what's going on. And this team that she's on is going to be unique because it's made up entirely of women, whereas all of the previous teams have basically been all male and soldiers. And here they're more like academics and scientists. But Lena's going in to find out what happened to her husband and try to find a way to save him. 
And then that's where we're going to stop because then shit gets really weird. Yep. Yep. That's about as spoiler-free as you can make it without things going really off the rails. And it's it's worth noting, like, just in case you did not realize this, gentle listeners, Annihilation is based off of a book by Jeff Vandermeer of the same title. And it's his book. It's actually the first of a trilogy. Yeah, it's Annihilation, Authority, Acceptance. They're together called the Southern Reach Trilogy. Or called Area X. They, when they sell it all together, they just call it Area X. Oh, okay. So they have like an omnibus. Yeah. And I will say that I've read the first book back when it got nominated, I want to say for the Hugo. And I listened to it as, as an audiobook. And honestly, I did not care for it as a book. And we can maybe even discuss that more a little bit later. But I will say that the movie has, you know, it definitely has the same starting point and concept as the book, but some of the like scariest freaking scenes in this were not in the book. Right. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it, it definitely deviates quite a bit from the book. I remember I read the book when it first came out and then I reread it before seeing the movie. Um, it has a similar starting point. Oh, it's only that uh, Lena is aware of Kane going into like the only difference is that she knows that Kane is going on this mission. And it's a year later, and she is determined to go. Like, she signs up deliberately. She knows exactly what she wants to do. She wants to go in there to find out what happened. Because Kane, it takes a little while for Kane to die, actually. Sorry. Ooh, spoiler. <laughs> well, I mean, for the book. <laughs> yeah, for the, yeah, for the book. Spoiler alert for the book. But, um... Yeah, Kane does actually die in the book, and and that's when she's she makes her her way to make sure that she is on the next mission to go in. So remind me, because I don't remember that any of the characters other than maybe Kane actually had a name in the book. Did Lena was Lena named in the book, or was she just kind of like the nameless narrator? No, she she was just considered the biologist, right? Yeah. Yeah, all, all the all the characters in the book are by title. No names are given in the book whatsoever, which was because I re-listened to the book too just before seeing the movie, and that's very different than the movie where everybody has a has a name in the book. They're all just titles, and that's I think that's a distancing of effect that Vandermeer wanted to do. That you couldn't really do that in the movie. That would be, I mean, maybe not a movie of this budget. Maybe maybe an art house movie could get away with it, but not a movie starring major Hollywood stars. Yeah, and I think maybe that's why I didn't like the book so much for whatever reason is like I had a hard time like getting into what was going on because I was just like, who are these people? Right. I, but it's weird because like even it still ended up kind of coming across as like an art house film because of how absolute batshit weird it got. <laughs> um, it got absolutely batshit. But yeah, I, I agree that it would be still kind of weird for them to be like, hello, anthropologist, and hello, psychiatrist. <laughs> so why don't we uh, get into our initial impression? Yeah, that, that's a good crossing place into that. <laughs> Let's start with Daniel, who's been quiet till this moment. So uh, as a biologist, I was really excited about getting to see this, and I had long wanted to read the book, and I still haven't. I actually picked up the, the Ariex Omnibus uh once I found out we'd be doing this, but just haven't had the time to read it yet still. Uh, so going into the movie, I was excited about that. I was excited about the the idea that it had the all-female um, protagonist cast um, as the focus. And I ended up overall being mixed about it. Um, just I'm going to pull up... Richard Brody wrote a little... He wrote a more extensive review for The New Yorker. But um, his snippet review, he described it uh, thusly. In this numbingly ludicrous science fiction drama, a talented cast of actors play underdeveloped characters delivering lead-in dialogue in a haphazard story that's filmed with a bland slickness. And he goes on, and I think that's unduly harsh, but it does get to the to the general impression that I had that it was very slick. It looks great. It has great ideas. I love the the intellectual nature of it, the complexity of it, the fact that there can be many interpretations. But at the same time, 
underneath all of that, when you really get down to it, I thought it was really hollow in conventional aspects of just storytelling or character development. Um, I loved the, so going back to biology, I loved the inclusion of biology that they included things like the Hayflick limit in there within the dialogue, but it still ultimately ended up just sounding sciency. The actual science, as you started thinking about it, it's like, no, this is absolutely ridiculous. It makes no sense. Um, so I love that they, they gave it a go. It's much more intelligent in terms of science than most movies are, but it could have been so much more. But I think the director really just went towards a completely different thematic kind of vision for the movie compared to what I was initially expecting it to be. Okay, yeah. Mike, how about your thoughts? Yeah, so I went to see this with uh, a writer friend at the very end of Emerald City, and we were both very hyped. Um, I'd not read the novel, though I'd heard a lot of very good things about it, especially as kind of a breakout success for Vandermeer, who really comes from um, the comes from the genre SF world, though he's always been on the weird or uh, literary side of it. His, some of his earlier works are associated with the new weird, and that's how I knew his stuff. So going into the film, I was expecting it to be in that new weird space. And in a lot of ways it, it was, but for me, the strength of the performances and the stunning level of the visuals were really undercut by what I found to be a very unsatisfying ending. Um, I didn't find the ending satisfying on a plot level or on uh, like an emotional stakes level. And that a film that doesn't do either of those things is really hard for me to be positive about so as much as there are good things to call out, like folks have said, it just left me really cold. Yeah, that the, the the ending, when we get past the spoiler wall, we'll talk about that ending and how I feel about it, too. Um, Terry, how about your overall impressions of the movie? Um, I definitely have to agree with a couple of points that visually it's absolutely stunning um, and uh, definitely strong performances from each of the women uh, who led the cast. I did have some problems with the ending. Uh, I felt like it was, it was essentially just throwing in how weird can we get with this Um, while it deviated where it needed to from the book uh, because there's practically no way to, uh, especially considering the thing, like, no, there's no way that they could have done uh, what Vendemir does in the book. So uh, it deviated where it needed to, but the end definitely felt like let's drop acid and just replicate it. <laughs> it was, it was, it to me, it, it did feel like a cop out, but I honestly still left the theater kind of, I think I'm also starved for a lot of weird fiction visuals. Um, so I, I did leave the theater with a sense of satisfaction. Uh, I don't know that I would necessarily watch it again, which is not a good thing for me. I tend to watch things a thousand times if I love it. So yeah, I, I, I'm starting to really kind of understand that it did leave me cold in a lot of areas, but I think I, I think I still liked it. I think visually it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, I can't wait to talk about the bear. <laughs> but, um, oh my god the bear. The bear, the bear and i think there were strong scenes that really stuck with me but yes the the characters were a bit underdeveloped uh lena was developed a little bit and her buddy the anthropologist was developed a bit but which is odd because we'll talk about that later but yes um yeah i agree it kind of left me a little bit cold how about you alex so the only problem that I could have had with, say, the ending was that it was kind of like, oh, I can tell that he's trying to wrap everything up because this is just going to be a single movie instead of a trilogy. So there's the flaws that are inherent with that. But I actually came out of the movie really satisfied with what it did. And I really loved it. And the visuals were amazing. And it also scared the ever ever living crap out of me. I think weirdly, to me, it like left me satisfied in the same way as playing like horror games like Silent Hill does. 
where you go in and all of this weird shit happens that's kind of up to your interpretation and then more weird shit happens and then even weirder shit happens and then weird shit happens that you're like pretty uncomfortable with and then it kind of resolves but then it's like there's the hint at the end that like weird shit is still happening and you're like okay cool so i think maybe that's why it worked for me because that was kind of the space that i approached it from you know where i was just like all right i'm just going to accept this for what it is and go on this really fucking creepy ride and then at the end you know, it's it's the, the hint of, of continuing creepiness, the end. So that actually really worked for me. And I mean, I don't know, like, there there could have been more character development in it. But at the same time, what they did with what they had was pretty amazing. So I, I actually really liked it. And I'm planning on watching the movie again, like, when it's on Netflix, just not at night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the scene in the boathouse comes to mind. Ooh. Uh, mm, no, it's just the the bear. Just the bear. Whew. The gear is kind of scary, too. Yes, that's true. But but the bear, oh, we will talk about the bear after the spoiler wall. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll give my impressions and then we'll throw the spoiler wall. So as for me, um, I really appreciate the cinematography and the visuals. No surprise there. Anybody who listens to me will know that. I really liked how it looked. I mean, how do you convey this creepy surreal novel in visual terms as far as what's happening and why garland makes some really interesting choices to try to show just how nature is being mutated and changed and just going amok inside of the shimmer not only the bear but i mean the flowers the creatures just this this the strange mutation or just like evolution of of everybody, I mean, consider consider what happens to one of the, one of the characters when she goes into the garden, as an example. As far as the characters, yeah, the the, the problem is for me, except for Lena, I couldn't really make myself care about many of the characters except Lena and Kane, and that I think is a weakness of of the script. I mean, the 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 act the actors are are great. I mean, it's nice to see, and I mean, practically all women cast except for Benedict Wong and Oscar Isaac but the, the the actors needed more to do I mean there was a couple beats to try to explain each character but it felt really perfunctory in most cases and that kind of disappointed me I wanted I wanted a better hook on that I mean the novel has the thing where we're just dealing with titles so that's automatically distancing and we're inside the head of the main character I think I think Garland could have done better in making us care about these characters and what's happening to them more than actually what came up on the screen. You know, I feel like if David was here, he'd have something really smart to say, probably that would involve a phrase in French that, about like the type of movie and how the, the characters not being characters is like exactly how it's supposed to be. Cause I seem to remember him saying that at least once for another movie where I was complaining about the characters. Yeah. I'd be, in, I'd be interested to, to see folks um, putting this into dialogue with something like roadside picnic slash stalker. Cause that that's the, the literary antecedent that pops up for me with regards to the shimmer in area X Though you can also point at new weird stuff like the cacatopic stain um, and things like that. Well, and the filmography, because the the plant life, for instance, is very reminiscent of what Tarkovsky did with Solaris. Mm. Mm. And I haven't seen Stalker or read the the original novel, for that matter. But I I've heard that this movie borrows or is inspired heavily from the Tarkovsky Stalker as well in terms of the cinematography and mm-hmm. and those visual mm-hmm. aspects. I mean, one other thing that I was thinking about, and this is, so, I, I actually went and saw this movie with a couple of friends, one, one of whom was Elise Tobler, who's the editor of Shimmer. And she, like, she absolutely loved the original books and she, she really enjoyed the movie too. And one thing we, we'd been kind of talking about is kind of a discussion of how magic works and you know stick with me for a minute here i swear this is related you know where depending on like the storytelling tradition you come from magic 
is either like it's a logical thing and it has rules and everything is explicable and makes sense in that context. And then there are other storytelling traditions where magic is just magic and things happen because it's magic and things just happen that way and it doesn't get explained. And I feel like maybe some stuff in like, you know, the the kind of the weird space is like that where the weird thing just happens and you don't ever get to know why the weird thing happens. It's just a weird thing that happened and then we're going to continue on and maybe more weird things will happen and it's just weird and that's how it is. And I felt like there was a lot of that in this movie where I was like, I just had to kind of accept, okay, here is a thing that is going on and that's just how it is. And it's a different, like, it's a different headspace to be in as a reader or a watcher, I feel like. Absolutely mm-hmm. agree. Um, because in the book itself, I think it's easier to accept when you're reading this, like, an alien force has come down and the shimmer is starting to grow. And it's just like, all right, cool. We don't know the rules. And the writer clearly knows the rules. So I'm going to go along with it. I'm here for for the ride. But I think it's a lot more difficult to uh, transcribe that onto screen as far as understanding that who those who are behind it know the rules. So I think that's one of the translation problems that ended up happening for The Shimmer, for me anyway, um, especially since they changed quite a bit of, you know, th- that tower was so strong in the book. And to remove that, because obviously translating that was would be impossible, but I think it ended up losing a lot of the convincing power that the book ended up having, which isn't to say that I necessarily like the book all that much, actually. But yeah, I definitely agree in the sense that with weird, you're giving up a lot of your preconceived notions of what narrative should be. Like for, I know, it comes at night was another one of my favorites from last year and a lot of people hated it because they were like nothing came there's no nothing like they like freaked out because those rules were broken so hard and so fast um so i'm definitely one to open myself up for along for the ride the ride just kind of took a left and i was just like what after a while yeah. Okay, so listeners, at this point, we are going to step through the shimmer into, into Area X. So if you don't want if you don't want to lose some time and be spoiled, then you might want to stop the podcast right now and go watch Annihilation. Otherwise, at this point, we're going to discuss everything in inc- increment detail. And so you have been warned. Wait a minute. Does this mean we're going to wake up tomorrow morning and not know how we got here? That's exactly what it means, Daniel. I'm sorry. And you're going to, like, open your fridge and discover that someone has drunk all of your milk overnight, and it was actually you. <laughs> so about the bear. Yeah, let's just, just just jump into the bear. Oh, my God. I'm, like, 99.999% sure, and I, I at least told me I was right, that the bear was not in the book, and the bear was, like, one of the most, la- like, oh, my God moments of the entire fucking movie. Which, like, okay, if you have chosen to be spoiled listeners, let me describe the bear for you if you have not actually seen this movie. So, there's, um, like, kind of the first hint of the bear is that one of the people in the group gets grabbed and dragged away, screaming into the night. And then they go look for her later, and they find her sort of mangled corpse. And it's pretty gross, but fine. And then, a little later, they're all, like, in a house. And one of the other characters, who's played by Gina Rodriguez, um, is kind of losing her shit, not that I blame her at this point, and has tied all of the other characters to chairs and is threatening to, like, shoot them. And then they hear this, the woman who got dragged off into the woods screaming again. And Gina Rodriguez is like, oh shit, she's still alive. I'm going to go look for her. And Lena's like, no, she can't be alive. And then we find out that it's this bear... And the bear is screaming with this woman's voice. <laughs> and then the bear comes in after it has mangled Gina Rodriguez. And it's like a bear. If if like half of the bear's face had, has melted off and revealed skull. And, you know, it's, it's a bit almost 
Jurassic Park, but way creepier, where it's like, don't move. You know, its its vision is activated by movement and noise. <laughs> and it's like sniffing at them and screaming and just... I was like literally trying to crawl backwards out of my theater seat to get away from the bear. Yeah, I, I was clenching my fists like, oh my god, oh my god. Never has a Georgia <gasps> O'Keeffe painting been that aggro. <laughs> <laughs> right? But just oh to my- clarify, Lena is the only one that sees the mangled body of the anthro- oh. anthropologist, which is part of the reason why Gina Rodriguez is suspicious of her, mm-hmm. because she she is starting to see all these worms under her skin. Um, even more spoiler alert, there is a scene in which uh, they find a videotape. Yeah. And the videotape reveals that what happens on the happened on the last expedition oh, where oh, yeah. Yeah, one of the guys has like the stomach ache and everybody's like, dude, we're seeing something moving. And they, they start to videotape essentially um, Oscar Isaac dig into this guy. And there are a series of worm snake like things that have re- essentially replaced this dude's intestines and in a crawling around so then afterwards Regina Rodriguez sees something crawling under skin she's losing her shit she doesn't want to say anything and she believes that Lena when she pieces together that Lena is actually married to Kane who's the guy that cuts open some other guy she's like what the fuck and knocks everyone out and ties everyone up and then that is part of the reason why Gina Rodriguez believes that believes the screams that are outside of the house and goes to investigate that bear (sighs) <sighs> oh, like it it was one thing to have the voice mocked outside where she's screaming full on like help me oh my god and even got the woman's accent down but it was another thing for like after the bear mangles Gina Rodriguez as you said and the bear comes crawl like you know walking in chilling you know like this is my shit I'm walking in and then sniffs at them and opens its mouth to say and the, like they it understood to change the pitch and like to the help like that strained help me was so fucking creepy it was that scene was the most successful scene to me of the entire film and the fact that it bit down on tessa thompson's shoulder and was getting ready to be like, oh, wait, I can totally eat this. <laughs> and, like, drag her off. And the, for Gina to bust in the way that she did. I love the length of that scene, too. The mm-hmm. fact that Gina, like, shot her up, shot up the bear and still got torn up. And the bear kept coming for more was the best part of it to me. Because we always kind of expect, oh, wait, it's shot, so it's going to slink off. Nah, this motherfucker was like, I am getting my <laughs> snack. I'm eating some goddamn body. So I, I thought that was the most successful scene in the entire film. Oh, God. Yeah, that that's basically the summary of it. That that scene was fucking terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. And it just kept was, going. It kept going. Like, and I was with my friend Mark, and he's sitting there, and I grab his arm, and he's covered in sweat. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely drenched as this bear's like, help me it's just like, and we of course we're texting each other help me for days <laughs> oh, oh my god <laughs> <laughs> and i will note just to, to backtrack slightly so the guy that was full of worms that they that gets videotaped later basically turns into a geiger painting on the wall of a pool <laughs> that was insane just, like the, the use of flowers and like growths were just ugh. I was really not expecting the body horror and the creature horror that was in the in the movie, and those were two of the aspects that I ended up adoring. I had people asking about the movie after I'd seen it, being like, oh, is there much gore or squickiness? And people were like, uh, not that much. What are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, it's like, sure, it's not like torture porn like hostile, but don't send anyone who has any kind of like tender sensibilities into this movie to to meet with the bear. Oh my god. That body, the body spread along that wall. Oh, and hell. like it was like almost beautiful, but at the it, same time it's like he was stretched like it was beautiful and horrible and well shown and hard to look at all and beautiful look at all at the same time it's like oh my god at the bottom of that pool it's like oh my god it's like ah i i I missed not having a tower in this book i mean 
in the movie. I mean, it's like, okay, we're going to have a tower. We're going to have the dweller in a tower. It's going to be great. No, we get the bear instead. I think I would have rather, for those who read the book, rather had the dweller in the tower than the bear. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, honestly. Like, it's, I think, I don't know for sure. I know that Jeff has shared stories about being on set and, uh, he was freaking out because Tessa Thompson was like, I'm a huge fan of this book. And he's just like, oh, God. Um, but he, I feel like that was almost a nod to Jeff because that Jeff has like a thing for bears. I don't know if you guys have read any of his other stuff, but he has this book, this novella, I guess, uh, called uh, Three Bears. He has uh, the book that came out after Area X was Born, which is about a bear. And it's like, (laughs) there's like, he likes bears. So I almost, I almost wonder if that's like a nod to him. Like, here's your bear fetish. (laughs) (laughs) Alex was talking before, I think about the explanations of a movie, like weird shit just happening and it's just weird and you don't have an explanation. And the one disappointment I did have with the bear is that they attempted to rationalize or explain it. Mm-hmm. As, you know, the bear was somehow enveloping or blending with the person's memories and being in that moment of death. And to me, that was just ludicrous, silly. Like, there well, was already a biological explanation in my brain of predators right. evolve mutations to mimic things. And so that, to me, would have been so much more cooler. And so by trying to emotionalize it and make it like an extra agonizing death for the character just seemed a little ridiculous uh, to me. I mean, I kind of read that as like, I'm just trying to find a way for it to make sense for them. But but it was like the biologist that was saying it. (laughs) Oh, no, it was um, was Tessa, Tessa's character, Tessa Tessa Thompson. Yeah, yeah, she she was the one that said because she that's how that's like her monologue while she's like, you know, tripping acid or not even acid. She's like on ketamine, I swear, where she's just like walking through, and it's just that you become one, and she just starts growing flowers. She wants. I gotta say, like that scene also has stuck with me in a serious way. Is just Tessa Thompson just walking away and turning into a plant, and I was like, okay, like. It was very haunting and weird and creepy in an extremely different way. And to me, like, so, you know, she was the one who was coming up with that. And I was just like, she's just telling herself whatever is going to work to help her get through this, which is basically like an acceptance thing because she's a physicist and she doesn't fucking understand biology (laughs) or geologist or something. Yeah, she's just like, oh, acquiesce. I'm not fighting any of this shit. And I mean, I mean, mean, if I'm going to turn into a tree... Sure. I just hope it's not painful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it seemed peaceful, I guess. It's more peaceful than the bear. Right? <laughs> or the gator. Or the gator. I don't remember when, because um, it hasn't been a while. Somebody talks about the the characters' demises being matched to like their fears or something. And I just didn't feel like I knew enough about, especially Radek, and to a lesser extent, Thornson, to get as much of a sense of that clarity and almost wonder whether something that schematic or structural would undercut what the rest of the film was doing. Yeah, see, I, I didn't think it felt like it was playing into their fears particularly. I thought what was more inter- interesting was it was like how they reacted to what's going on. Like, you know, Gina Rodriguez is like super in denial and seeing conspiracy theories. And then she gets eaten by a bear. And Tessa Thompson is like, oh, I accept things and I'm becoming one with it and turns into a tree person. And, you know, I was like, sure. Okay. This seems to work for me. I I don't know if it was necessarily a direct reflection of their fears, but it definitely seemed to be a, a direct reflection of their I don't want to necessarily call it strengths, but how they coped because, and I forgot, I'm glad that you remember the names, but I don't remember who was who, but Tessa Thompson's character was a cutter. So it like, as it was, I I do personally, and I don't mind that this is in the podcast, but I do personally have experience with cutting and I do, you know, I have depression issues and things of that sort. And usually cutting is an expression to relieve or to either to feel something to beat the numbness of depression 
and or relieve emotional pain. So it's kind of fitting that she would she would have this kind of peaceful death that was uh, her acquiescing and going along with it, which actually remi- reminded me of uh, Melancholia. Um, oh, uh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's the depression. Those are with people with depression accept, you know, the end. Um, so it, it kind of folded into Tessa's uh, characters overall kind of uh, she was really kind of removed entirely. She was removed quite a bit throughout it. And then through the anthropologist who was dragged off, she's afraid of, she, her daughter was ripped from her. She wasn't able to see her kid. So it's kind of, it almost matched, not necessarily the fears, but kind of what they were, their weaknesses, if that makes sense. Because the weakness isn't necessarily a fear. Mm. Mm. I, I did see that kind of like matching with characters and, you know, I'm still thinking about, like, the psychologist where it's like she decides to go on what's basically a suicide mission because apparently she's got cancer, is I think what, what Lena gets told. And then basically at the end, she just gets, like, consumed from the inside out by a bunch of special effects. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, it, it felt really so. Let's talk about the ending. Um, like. After the scene with the bear, like, the ending felt did feel like a letdown as far as, like, being tense and scary. Like, I, 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 it's almost like, you know, they, they, they had their best moment with the bear and then they got to the end and they were like, well, we just need to have a bunch of, like, special effects. I mean, the, and, and this was one of those moments where I was like, I feel like I'm in a fucking horror video game where... Lena like goes into the lighthouse and there's the camcorder set up and she's like, oh, and there's like a burnt shadow on the wall and I'm going to watch what's in the camera. And I'm like, don't watch what's in the camera. You're going to get a cut scene and everything is going to be terrible. And I was right. I don't know. I I have very conflicting feelings about the end because some of it is I was like, okay, it's like just a giant prismatic swirly thing, whatever. But then when it kind of turns into the human shape and... It, it kind of like, especially that moment where it fucking traps Lena against the door and is like crushing her. That freaked me out like super bad. And, and you know, I, I did like that she blew it up with a grenade, but then that was apparently like the magical thing that made ever. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Why phosphorus is, is, is this thing's kryptonite? Yeah, apparently. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't too thrilled with that. I mean, they wanted to. As you had said before, Alex, they wanted to wrap this up in one movie. So not only does is it white phosphorus grenades, this thing's kryptonite, but it solves the entire Area X problem at one go, or at least 99.9% of it, except for the little bit we get at the ending when we have Lena and Kane look at each other. And you can see <laughs> the shimmers Kane. in their eyes. Not Kane. Not Kane. <laughs> I should, I should suppose that. Not Kane because, because it's, yeah, it's because it's the duplicate. They look into each other's eyes and you can see the shimmer in their eyes. It's like, okay, they're both still of of Area X. But yeah, other, otherwise everything is all gone. The, the, the shimmer is gone. That's It's like, let's wrap this up neatly with a bow, which is which is disappointing way. Because in the novel, it's made clear that Area X has been there for decades. In the novel, in the movie, it's a lot more compressed. It's been there for a few years. We even see the asteroid meteorite bolide that hits the lighthouse so we know how and why it started even if the characters themselves don't know so it it felt a little too cookie cutter sort of ending it's like okay we can wrap this up with some uh with some white phosphorus and call it good it's like really i did actually freak out a little bit when he was talking to the camera because obviously you you understand that to a certain degree kane has lost his shit because he's cutting open his buddy's stomach but when he talks to the, the other person, tell Lena I said I love her, and he's like, I will. I was like, what the fuck was that? Right? <laughs> I legitimately <laughs> lost my shit. I looked at Mark and I was like, what? Like, it was like a moment where I kind of was like, oh God, come on. Enough of this. I had the bear and the, <laughs> the bodies outside. I had enough of this. But yeah, it was, it, that freaked me out. And yeah, that, I just had to say that. <laughs> It's like, you know, you know, like, if if you look at the camcorder in the horror game, the cutscene's gonna be fucked up. And it was! 
I, I, I mean, consider we just did, we recently did on the podcast Event Horizon when they look at what happened to the crew. It was horrible. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, because the that is it's the the late twentieth and twenty first century version of finding the journal. It's it's here we're going to give you an expository lump that allows you to reframe what's going on. And even though the film also used flashbacks, which maybe are a part of the refraction as it impacts Lena. But even if that's the case, I didn't feel like the end of what happened in the tower, nor her pseudo reconciliation with not Kane, none of that for me was a satisfactory ending to the affair plot line. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't even mention that yet. For for folks who haven't seen but are are still listening, um, Lena has an affair that I think begins before Kane leaves for the last time with one of her colleagues, Daniel, who also teaches at um, the same university. And we see that we see scenes with Daniel, and then we get the flashback of the affair, which reframes kind of how he's been talking to her previously. And she regrets the affair. And she feels like she's become distant from Kane or that Kane is holding back, holding things back from her. And I just felt like that as her emotional arc, that she needs to figure out what happened to Kane in order to kind of square or properly settle her feelings. I just never felt like there was that final scene of flashback or resolution in reflection or in discussion with not Kane. So it, it felt like it was uh, like nine of 10 plot beats that really relied on the 10th. Yeah, I, I definitely got the inkling of the affair when um, they first encountered one another. Because um, I watch and read enough romance to know that little <laughs> tension. Um, but I, I did feel like that was a little bit. I <clears throat> while I understood that the flashbacks were this being now uh, consuming the memories of Lena and, and fully forming Lena, and that's why she would answer, "I don't know, I don't know," and then be able to then turn around and start to have a story while I got that. I just, that, that, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with it. It kind of annoyed me at the same time that that was, that was a plot decision. Yeah. I, I, I spent a lot of time once the, the, the affair plot started and I was like, Oh, okay. I guess this is a thing that was going on. I was just like, I'm not sure what this is really adding to even Lena's story. Like I wasn't, I was like, what is the point? Right. It's, it, and it's funny because the guy sitting next to me was like, it's an alien rom-com because <laughs> in a way, in a way it's kind of like they wanted to plant the seed of wanting to destroy something that's too good um, mm. with Kane, you know, deciding to, when everything looks good for the two of them, Kane has decided to do this expedition and run off. And supposedly everything's good with Kane, so she, but she still has this affair that doesn't seem to make much sense. And she's fucking him in their bed. And it's kind of like, wait, what? So it's like, almost there was like a, a bit, like you said, a, a plot point, this this kind of seed to have it be, in, in, honestly, like a rom-com. So it's like weird to me. So here's my interpretation of this, at least from my perspective. And honestly, I still haven't completely worked it out. And that aspect is probably the one that still confuses me in some way. I'd like to see the movie again to see if I'm my logic is right here, or if I'm just trying to make things up. Mm-hmm. But the movie starts with the biological concepts of what I, what I mentioned before, the Hayflick limit, which was originally researchers when they were making mammalian cell lines um, for the purposes of vaccines or for just general research, wanted to be able to just grow mammalian cells in culture. And originally someone published that, oh, you can do that. They'll just keep reproducing and you can get more and more cells and they never die. But then a researcher discovered, well, actually that's not true. Cells have a a definite lifespan. And so a mammalian cell culture line will die out. We are all mortal and those cell lines can't go on unless it's cancer. And so this movie to me plays into that biological realm and equating it with other aspects of culture or society of treason within the organism. The aliens are coming and the aliens are starting to infiltrate within this area X and start to, they don't understand us. 
So they start growing and mimicking our cellular life and merging with it in ways that don't really quite work because they don't seem to fully understand or grasp it. And that goes with sort of the mimic Kane and the mimic um, Lena that are at the end that do their little dance together of trying to be something to keep going and persisting um, to try to be something that you're not. And within the relationship, the cheating was almost like cancer. Cancer is ourselves, if you're a human, getting cancer at least, ourselves all of a sudden going rogue and saying, I don't want to screw this. I don't want to be a part of multicellular life anymore. I want to be go back to being unicellular. I'm not going to, I'm going to betray you. And so in your own house, I'm going right. to now betray you and go my own selfish way. And Lena was really, at least the impression I got at the beginning of the movie, was Lena was really concerned with she wanted to have a way to get past the Hayflick limit so that cells could keep going on and living and you could keep having a good thing, but some way where that would be able to go on without destruction happening and without it turning to cancerous growth. And so to me, her going into the area X to like, she was, she kind of became enraptured by this because here is this life form that is growing and isn't quite cancer. It's, it's, in some ways, it's like the opposite of cancer. It wants to be like you. It doesn't want to be different and go back to something else. It's trying to be you, a part of you. It's just not good at it. And it's <laughs> yep. creating oh, really? a lot of shit and damage in the process. So that's, uh, as best as I can do from one viewing, that's kind of my biology point of view on the whole thing. I don't know. I think there's plenty of other probably relevant interpretations, too, obviously, for a movie like this. But that's the best that I can do in trying to wrap my head around why Alex Garland took the roots that he did and included that kind of that subplot of the uh, the affair. Yeah, the Hayflick thing for me can work because it it then folds in the death drive stuff that they talk about. Yes. Yes, that's right. I, I don't know, like, the the one thing that, that really struck me, like, when it's, it's you know, the so far, so much, like, Lena in the present where she's getting debriefed, and the, the guys in the biohazard suits ask her several times, like, what does it want? And her answer is basically, I don't think it wants anything. Like, the, the concept that the Shimmer has... A mind that we can understand with wants that we can understand is is just not a thing. Like it's incomprehensible, which I kind of liked. That, that sense of alienness. I'm going back to your point for a second, Dan. You did note while while watching the movie, one of the one of the characters was reading the Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, which goes ties into your ties in right to your interpretation. Yes, that's a very interesting. Um, that's a damn good. <laughs> Uh, interpretation of that now like and it's interesting that you're talking about the betrayal because uh, that was one of the things that I saw within the psychiatrist and I was kind of disappointed that they did not have that with the psychiatrist uh, hypnotizing the rest of them oh yeah having um, the command the words uh, yeah, yeah having the command because I, I thought it was interesting that with her and I, I will backtrack on a particular word that I used earlier when talking about Tessa Thompson and her cutting and the anthropologist and her not being able to see her daughter. Uh, it's not a weakness per se, but it's their secret. So I, I don't want to call it a weakness, but their secrets are, are what the area X goes for. And so with the psychiatrist being in this den, I, I would have loved her motivation being a little more mapped out closer to the book because mm. of the, the hypnotism and things of that sort and the selfishness of her movements and her and how she's pushing this expedition along, despite the fact that they're lo- they lost the anthropologist, despite the fact that, you know, Gina Rodriguez's skin is moving like the pushing and because only because of her issue and her secret, it's like, fuck everyone else. Now I'm going to be consumed while I'm consumed by this cancer. I'm now going to be consumed by this alien so I thought that that's that's an interesting um, interpretation, Daniel. Thank you. Mm. Now I'm gonna Thank think you, about because actually Dr. Ventress's death was the one part I still couldn't wrap my head around much, and maybe that's because I hadn't read the book, and I think the movie did really fail with her at the end. They did. Um, and so that actually helps me understand that a little more now. 
Yeah, just on the Hayflick thing, I really, and part of this is, you know, how subtle does the filmmaker want to be? If the Hayflick limit is really supposed to be the through line that kind of unlocks stuff, Lena should have called it out as a biologist more explicitly, because I don't see how she, with this focus, wouldn't have brought that framework and that perspective lens into the work, uh, into the shimmer with her. And if it's supposed to be load-bearing, including at the beginning and then doing so much to disorient and not having the, the character even call it back, doesn't I think that just isn't good work. It's not good storytelling not to uh, shore that up properly. I mean, I feel like Alex Garland as a filmmaker, he doesn't have that many under his belt. I think he's he's still very much kind of in a more of a independent film art house place as well where he's just kind of like throw it all at the wall and let the audience figure it out which sometimes they do they rely on that a little bit too much but i mean it's kind of like in ex machina like he didn't give us a lot of really flat answers though that that was also something of a different thing just because so much of it was just like a dialogue between oscar isaac and um Oh god, what's that red-headed guy's name? Donald Gleason. Yes. One of the Weasleys. Cuz I think Alex Garland just like is seriously in love with Oscar Isaac just like everybody cuz I have a feeling every every movie he makes if he can get Oscar Isaac, Oscar Isaac is going to be in and it. I don't blame him. If I was a filmmaker, every movie would have Mads Mikkelsen in it just <laughs> everywhere. Okay, I think I think we're running towards the end of the podcast, so I was hoping that everybody could uh, give their final thoughts about the movie. Why don't we take it from the top and start with you, Alex? All right, so, I mean, honestly, I really love this movie, and I normally don't like movies that scare me, and this one scared the bejesus out of me. I feel like as long as you can handle horror and body horror, because there is definitely body horror, and there is, you know, like... There is plenty of horrific things that don't require a lot of blood splattering everywhere, and this movie does them all. I really loved it, and I don't normally like scary movies, and I want to watch it again just because I felt like it had enough really chewy stuff in it. And the only thing that that I was at all disappointed in were some aspects of the ending that I feel like I, I'm willing to give Alex Garland more of a pass on because... It was basically like we need to wrap this up at the end of one movie instead of letting it be a trilogy. So, I mean, I really enjoyed it, and uh, I would give it, like, an A. Okay, how about you, Daniel? So, I agree with a lot of what Alex said. I I would just add what I said before, that I like that there's many, I think there's probably many interpretations to the movie. Uh, the one that I had comes from, you know, my background, my experience, but I think probably people could come up with completely different interpretations of it. And I think that's really a, a hallmark of what is overall a good movie, but still it, it has its, its flaws in the characterizations for me. But uh, one thing I hadn't mentioned is people have talked about Oscar Isaacs, how great he is. I just want to throw out Tessa Thompson. I keep getting blown away uh, with her work um, from this to um, Creed to, uh, Black, not Black Panther. Thor Ragnarok. Well, can't, Thor, Thor Ragnarok, Ragnarok. Thank you. Yeah. And um, Infinity War coming up. Um, yeah, just very impressed with her work. So overall, I think of a lot of good points for the movie. Um, some failed execution, some things the director really could have done better, I think, overall in terms of storytelling and giving a few more cues to the audience um, throughout the course of, of the events. So I'd give it a, a B overall. A B. Okay, Mike? Yeah, I think I'm happier with the film having had this discussion, and I think especially the Hayflick Limit reading is one that can that I can extend to be a bit more generous to the work. But I, I think I'm finding that Alex Garland's style is not what I'm looking for in a movie for the most part, because I was very dissatisfied with Ex Machina as well. So I'm going to have to carry that forward with other things that he does um, in the capacity that he did these these two films. But there were such strong performances and a lot of things that I think speak well to the film, especially how striking and affecting we all found the the bear. So I want to give it credit for that. Uh, so I think I'm going to go with a C plus. C plus. Okay, Terry. 
I agree with a lot of points. Daniel really opened my eyes to that invasion and cancer uh, parallel. Um, so I that really kind of I want to I do now want to see it again for that. I there I didn't even get to into some of the characterizations, but I agree with everyone when we said earlier that there wasn't enough flesh out for these characters. Um, and one of the problems that I did have was Gina Rodriguez being the angry butch who hits on everyone. So that was kind of, yeah. that was a little yeah. annoying to see that, that box ticked. But uh, overall, to be honest, I loved the visuals. I loved the pace because I just love weird movies. And I think I'm starved for that. So I think maybe in 10 years, if we have more weird movies, then my opinion will, will, <laughs> plummet probably um but for now i did still like the movie left me cold in some places i do agree that some of the storytelling was um was left a little too high up in the air but i'm gonna give it a good b plus mostly oh also because it showed a black woman with mental health issues with mental illness and i thought that was good uh, tessa thompson i agree again blown away she's great and yeah so for that i will give it a b plus okay so that leaves me at the end i i want to thank daniel like other people did for for this interpretation that's made me reformulate it and improve its grade i was going to i uh, have it in the in the depths of the of the sea realm because of the of the characterization and my unhappiness with just how things fall apart at the end. I mean, I mean, I mean the visuals and how it looks and the sense of place and the I. I mean, just just what we see of Ariax and see of the creatures, not the bear, the alligator, the flowers, the flower, the flower people. All of that is all great, but aside from Lena, it's like it's 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 like okay, I I'm just watching her wander through the landscape and I want to connect with the other characters and I couldn't, but. Now I have some a little bit more better reframing thanks to Daniel's uh, uh, ideas here, so I'm going to give it a solid B. So that averages out to a B for Bear. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so I want to th- thank Terry for joining us here on Skipping Fanny. If you could tell us uh, where people can find you on the internet and what's new with you. Um, I have, again, I write under, I write speculative fiction, mostly horror, under the pseudonym Zen E. Rocklin. Um, I'm, I have a story coming out in May, I believe it is, uh, in the Kaiju uh, collection. Um, and so that's, a, my story is called When a Kaiju Falls in Love. It's super weird. Uh, and you can find me on the internet, on Twitter, mostly active, at Intelligent Twat. <laughs> oh my god. That's amazing. Skiffy and Fanny first right here, I think. Yeah. I think so. We also should mention that our very own Alex has a an award nomination that they should talk about. Yay! Uh, my my novel from last year, Hunger Makes the Wolf, which is my debut novel, got nominated for the Golden Tentacle. For Golden the Tentacle. Yes. So I'm super excited, and I'm actually gonna go to the Kitchies because this is literally the only time in my entire life I could get nominated for that award. That's that's fantastic. I'm very I'm very happy for you. So yay! I'm excited. It's a fabulous book. Uh, I previously had to disclose that I was biased. Now I can say that I'm biased less so, and it's amazing. And y'all should all read it. Absolutely. And and then and then go ahead and read this. Read the sequel. Read the sequel. Blood binds the pack. Yes. <laughs> Bigger explosions. More lesbians. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's the greatest tagline. I want Michael Bay, I Michael Bay to just tagline one of the Transformers. That's going to be like my... More lesbians! More that's gonna be, and that'll Mark be my Wahlberg. aesthetic now. Yeah. <laughs> that's oh my god. On my own side, uh, I've got the Born of the Blade series launching on April yes. 18th. With mm-hmm. uh, Cassandra Kaw, Malka Older, and Marie Brennan. It's an epic fantasy um, that we pitch as Avatar The Last Airbender meets The West Wing and Babylon 5 with magic sword fights. 
And if uh, martial arts, magic, intrigue, diplomacy, and or kind of uh, friendship-driven narrative interests you, then you should definitely check it out. It's coming with Serial Box Publishing. Mike, you forgot yes. about the floating islands. It's got floating islands too. So if uh, Sky Worlds are your jam, then uh, come through. Yes. Everyone should should get into this because it. Mike has told me about it and it's super cool. I've read it and it's super cool. <sighs> Everything's cool. Everything is awesome. <laughs> I want to thank my co-hosts and our guests for joining us here on Skipping and Panties tonight to talk about Annihilation. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you all. Thank you, Mike. Thanks. Thank you, Alex. You're welcome, citizen. You're welcome. And thank you, Terry. Thank you. And with that, listeners, stay frosty. Thank you for listening to the show. If you'd like to support us, you can find us at patreon.com slash skiffyandfanty. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do so at our email at skiffyandfanty at gmail.com, on Twitter at skiffyandfanty, and on Facebook at the Skiffy and Fanty Show. Our intro and outro music comes from Dimension by Creo. You can find out more about them at freemusicarchive.org. Music